Welcome to the VO2 Lounge. In this episode, I will be going into supplementation and specifically how it relates to enhanced athletic performance. All the supplements covered will be widely used currently and all non-BAM substances. These are, this is something that, for me, I've just returned back to uh, racing on the road bike. And although I'm a moderately far away from my previously peak um, fitness, supplementation is definitely something that can provide, within a season, definitely a little bit of an edge over where you may have been able to reach without any form of supplementation. Now, numerous factors contribute to peak athletic performance within a season and within a career. Among these are a strong uh, foundation in physical conditioning and sports-specific experience. These two are probably the most critical bits. Um, Having training that is specific to your sport is crucial in developing a Uh, in some case an aerobic kind of base and then your uh, top end performance and ensuring that this is sport specific and then sport specific experience is crucial you can have all the fitness in the world in road racing or running and just not understand uh, race dynamics and how the interaction amongst athletes uh, occurs in a race and then for um team sports obviously those skills and dynamics of the game are crucial and in addition to these you've got a need a bespoke periodized training and nutritional program because nutrition is going to change depending on your volume and your just your weight in general if you're a lighter individual you know you're going to need less calories than someone who's generally a heavier individual and then the periodized training plan ensuring that training is somewhat specific to the time of year that you're in and whether you're in or out of competition and whether you're trying to gain or maintain fitness. Now once these underpinning factors are accounted for and the athlete reaches a training and maturity and uh, competition level where marginal gains determine success, a role may exist for the use of evidence-based supplementation. Now this may or may not be where you are currently. You may not be at your physical potential, but you may be at a point where, you know, 10 hours a week or 15 or whatever it is you're doing is as much as you can do and you're maybe 10, 15 weeks out from your key event and 2 or 3% on top of your current base of fitness may be a hefty bump to being able to stay with a group and things like this and can drastically change how your race or um, sport in general plays out. So we are going to go into various supplements in this episode um, and I'm about to list what those are. So the supplements that I'll be going over are mainly ones that seem to have a reasonable body of literature around them and tend to provide evidence that they do, for the most part, improve uh, athletic performance. Talk about what specific kind of performance they improve and the dosages and recommendations around how to use them. Now these supplements are caffeine, creatine, nitrate, beta-alanine and sodium bicarbonate. At the end I will also talk about uh, ketone supplementation but it seems to be a bit newer. The information on it's a bit more 
it seems to be double-sided in whether it definitely is a benefit or whether there could be a hindrance. But I will talk about dosage. I will talk about what so far the thoughts are on the supplement. And we will talk on the elephant in the room of ketones, and that is the cost. But let's start off with caffeine. So caffeine, to me, is almost the granddaddy of, of supplements to the point that sometimes I forget that it kind of even is one because you just take it before a ride or during a ride because you have a coffee and then you kind of feel like you suddenly bounce back a little bit and you forget that it's actually a pretty potent uh, performance enhancing supplement. So caffeine is a stimulant that is ubiquitously consumed in the diets of most adults in general um, and has well-established benefits for athletic performance. Uh, the mechanisms for these benefits include uh, adenosine receptor antagonism, uh, which just essentially means it binds to the same receptor as adenosine and blocks it um, and increased um, endorphin release, enhanced neuromuscular function, improved vigilance uh, and alertness, and reduced perception of exertion during exercise, which is kind of one of the biggest, I suppose, reported benefits from individuals when they are going through these trials. And that is that once taking caffeine and people in general, they're just the effort seems easier, which half the time is the biggest hurdle between doing an interval an interval at the prescribed effort that you should be able to hit and not doing it at all. Uh, now, before going any further, I do have an entire episode on caffeine and its performance-enhancing effects. So if you want more information on its effects um, than I'm about to provide in this episode, then feel free to check that episode out. So caffeine supplementation is known to improve endurance capacity during time to fatigue exercise tasks for instance during activities such as running on a treadmill until exhaustion and in resistance training exercise repetitions to failure both see um, improvements from caffeine supplementation uh, studies have found that caffeine supplementation can achieve an average performance benefit of approximately three and a half percent uh, when provided before and or during endurance-based time trial activities of varying duration from about 5 to 150 minutes. This is across numerous exercise modalities, meaning this includes things like cycling, running, rowing, cross-country skiing and swimming. So all endurance-based activities, all activities where in general an hour, I mean obviously swimming is a bit different but it depends on the kind of uh, effort you're doing but doing any of these activities for an hour is not necessarily out of the ordinary um, studies uh, reporting benefits typically use caffeine dosages of three to six milligrams of coffee uh, sorry of caffeine per kilogram of body mass so that provides you with a range to sort of work up well work within and this is usually or almost always in the form of a pill or powder form, rather than coffee for obvious control reasons. Um, consumed 60 minutes prior to exercise. Now these obvious control reasons are that no matter how into coffee you are and how precise you are with measuring and grinding and brewing your coffee, there is no way to guarantee 
the amount of caffeine in a given cup of coffee. Whereas a controlled tablet or powder that is then weighed, the tablet's even easier because you don't need to do any weighing, there will be a control on that tablet of a range that the tablet will fall within, meaning that you can consistently control the amount of uh, caffeine entering your body at a given period without worrying about overdoing it, underdoing it, or just not being sure whether the variation in performance is due to caffeine variations or just general variations in performance. Uh, For shorter efforts in the five-minute range, uh, reported benefits are slightly greater at about 6.5% and have been shown with doses of 5 to 6 milligrams per kilogram with considerable benefits also being seen in maximal lift activities such as powerlifting. So essentially, I think to be completely honest, you could just go all the way up to the 5-6 to six for endurance-based sport, but it, I think maybe the main drawback is these greater, larger dosages probably have a larger potential to cause uh, any form of gastric distress. Um, and on a an event where you maybe are performing for an hour or up to like five or six hours, then if you get a bit of bowel discomfort, it really is going to bother you because you're going to be doing the sport for so long. Whereas if you're only doing a five-minute activity or you're at a powerlifting meet where you just need to hang in there for the three lifts, then upping the dosage to something that maybe gives you a bit of discomfort but you can cope with it for 10 to 30 minutes and you're not necessarily exercising for that full period maybe it's just the three lifts or in the case of a five minute a sort of a track based cycling or running event where you can cope with it with the build-up the event happens and then you're done so there's that's that's caffeine so next we have creatine which is more a supplement that is commonly used within uh, people going to the gym and strength-based activities, whereas it, within endurance sports, it is less commonly taken. However, there are still some possible benefits. Um, creatine monohydrate being the most common um, form, which is what you're buying 99.9, I think, probably percent of the time when you're ordering it. But when you take uh, creatine, according to established loading and or maintenance protocols, creatine supplementation can increase intramuscular creatine stores by as much as 30% approximately, with a magnitude of the response being inversely related to the starting concentration. So a lower starting concentration in the muscle means greater magnitude of response. So this is how it works, really. Uh, Within the muscle, creatine uh, kinase mediates the phosphorylation of creatine to phosphocreatine uh, as phosphate, as the name would imply, just adds a phosphate onto it, Uh, which is a key substrate for high intensity muscular force generation, whereas phosphocreatine levels decrease during high intensity exercise to rapidly resynthesize adenosine triphosphate, ATP, which you probably heard of. Uh, from adenosine diphosphate, which is ADP, um, elevated creatine stores allow a greater rate of phosphocreatine resynthesis, enhancing short-term high-intensity exercise. 
particularly by enhancing the capacity to perform repeat bouts of an effort. So that's that's why it's kind of like twofold with um, uh, strength-based performances and low repetition because during competition it's beneficial in the sense that you are able to repeat more of these bouts of this high intensity, meaning maybe a better performance. But in a training aspect, the greater volume capable by the individual allows for more uh, better gain in mass and more strength gains. Um, so a key molecule supplement for people going to the gym to allow them to obtain greater volume during training. Uh, so numerous reviews of creatine monohydrate supplementation identified performance benefits in single repetitions of between one and five percent and repeated bouts of between five and 15 of high intensity exercise of less than 150 seconds in duration um, with most uh, pronounced effects being seen during tasks of less than 30 seconds um, so there you go you really you're narrowing it down to uh, kind of strength work and anaerobic kind of like sprinting efforts as for endurance sports, the results are not as promising. There's some work suggesting that uh, late into a bike race that creatine can help support multiple bouts of high-intensity work. However, the often reported weight gain of between 1 and 2 kilos is often too great for individuals uh, at the pointy end of a race. As an individual who's maybe in the earliest stages of things, and to be honest, I think the mass penalty and the report benefits in an endurance sport, maybe in the winter, if you are trying to just naturally, you are also prioritizing some mass gain through muscle just for your general health, then supplementing with creatine is a genuine benefit. But if you're doing all out solely concerned about performance in an endurance sport, then really the benefits of creatine can kind of just be ignored. As for the dosage, there are often two methods reported. A loading phase of 20 grams a day for 5 to 7 days, followed by a maintenance of 5 grams a day, or alternatively 5 grams a day from the beginning, but it may take up to 3 weeks to see the full benefits of the supplement. As for side effects, no serious adverse effects have been reported of studies up to 4 years long, and I think there are enough gym goers taking it for you know, people to generally know that there are no adverse effects, given how almost it's on the level of caffeine, of how ubiquitously people are taking it. It's almost like your gym starter pack comes with a 100 gram pack of creatine. So, yeah. Uh, next on the list is one that people may be slightly less familiar with, and that is uh, nitrate. Uh, but has some proven effects around performance enhancement. So dietary nitrate found to improve oxygen uptake uh, kinetics during prolonged submaximal exercise. So the consumption of dietary nitrates leads to an enhanced nitric oxide bioavailability via the NO3 nitrate NO pathway. Um, so nitric oxide plays an important role in skeletal muscle function with the proposed mechanisms for improved exercise performance, including a reduced ATP cost, 
of muscle force production and increase efficiency of mitochondrial uh, respiration and increase blood flow to the muscle and a decrease in the blood flow to um, VO2 heterogenetics. So it is simply just making the body's life easier. It requires less ATP. Um, the efficiency is greater in general. The increased blood flow allows for just more oxygen to flow to the muscle. Um, so it looks like a clear benefit. But let's look into it a bit more. So studies have shown approximately a 5% reduction in oxygen cost of sub-maximal exercise following nit um, sorry, nitrate supplementation. Improvements in the time to exhaustion have also been exhibited with enhancements observed between the 1% to 3% in sports-specific uh, time trial performances. To date, there is limited support for beneficial effects during exercise that is um, less than 40 minutes in duration. However, uh, sorry, is greater than 40 minutes in duration. However, this is possibly due to the lower relative exercise intensity and the diminished role of nitrate-driven pathways um, for uh, NO production. So nitrate supplementation has also been shown to enhance the function of type 2 muscle fibers with an improved performance of between 3 and 5% approximately, showing during bouts of high-intensity intermittent team sport exercises of between 12 and 40 minutes in duration. So from this, it appears nitrate is something more focused to the shorter uh, exercise durations. But what I would take away from it is that sometimes these longer races, especially in cycling where you can have three, four hour long races, there will be points at which they are determined like the race is determined there'll be a bunch there'll be like three hours of fluff in a four hour race or three and a half hours of fluff and then there'll be 30 minutes of just all out racing really and maybe sporadic points so it may be that nitrate can still be beneficial during those points but when assessed as a a looking at the entire event in a vacuum of okay how much benefit did you get over the five hours not much but you won because you got the benefit for the 10 minutes that mattered, I think is where there can be somewhat of a limitation of a study. So I still think it's a very valid supplement from the information provided. So with nitrate supplementation, your level of fitness may also affect the supplement efficacy with greater amounts of nitrate likely needed to produce an effect in higher level athletes. Um, however, the benefit of nitrate supplementation for every high uh, so for very highly trained elite athletes requires more research as often it's quite hard to gain data from elites for some obvious reasons mainly being that you know if you're if you're at the elite level probably either you don't want to be participating in these studies because you've got better things to do like your training in general or simply ingesting stuff that Either one you don't know is banned, you don't know what it's got in it. If you're doing it as part of a trial, then you would hope that there is some batch testing and not and there's no banned substances in it. But you don't know if there's going to be a major adverse reaction to the supplement and then throws you off your training. And likelihood is that part of your contract, possibly you are unable to partake in these studies. But um, chronic 
uh, nitrate supplementation may uh, facilitate training adaptions when taken prior to key sessions with greater improvements of 8.7 versus 4.7% in a placebo control setting seen in a maximum work rate following three weeks of sprint interval training after ingesting 500 milligrams of nitrate two and a half hours before each session so that kind of gives you an insight into the timing and the dosage so possibly taking your dosage two to three hours before each session and then on days you're not training then just take it maybe at the same ish time assuming your training happens roughly the same time each day um to see greatest benefits and the 500 milligram uh we'll get on to in a moment about the necessary the dosage so where do you get nitrate from in general leafy greens and root vegetables for example spinach rocket celery and probably the biggest one people know about is beetroot um are where you will be getting um, your primary source of dietary nitrate, so ignoring supplementation. Uh, performance benefits may manifest acutely, so within two to three hours, following a nitrate supplementation dosage of between 310 and 560 milligrams. Couldn't find anything that was um, sort of corrected for weight or mass. Like I couldn't find like a 10 milligrams per kilogram. But essentially, if you think you're lighter on the lighter end, like you're 60 kilos, then maybe get closer to 310 grams. I don't know if it is sensitive to mass, but I guess when in doubt, if you find a supplement that's 600 milligrams, then you kind of know that should be enough. Um, So with the cumulative influence of repeated nitrate intakes, so greater than three days may also be beneficial especially in well-trained athletes and then finally performance benefits may be maintained for at least 15 days if consumed for the supplement is continued for this duration so it kind of looks like it's not necessarily something that you have to take daily and consistently um, it's a bit more like caffeine where you can just take it before the um, sport but to be honest, maybe it's just something that if you're getting a large quantity of these tablets, then you just take it daily anyway for the sake of routine. Uh, next, beta alanine that I'll be talking about. Another supplement that I suppose I would say probably more prevalent in, again, the kind of strength training area, but definitely has some um, endurance-based performance-enhancing effects. So, it's described as a rate-limiting precursor to carnosine, an endogenous intracellular uh, buffer, and one of the immediate defenses against the accumulation of protons in the contracting musculature during exercise. This is essentially the point at which muscle pH begins to drop and lactic acid doses occurs in the muscle. So daily supplementation with approximately 65 milligrams per kilogram of body mass. So that is 0.065 grams uh, of beta alanine for a minimum of two to four weeks can increase skeletal muscle carnosine content by up to approximately, again, 65% above resting levels, improving tolerance for maximal exercise bouts lasting between 30 seconds and 10 minutes, which really for endurance performance is a pretty 
key window of where you would if you're doing exercise for an hour two hours three hours four hours you don't really want this lactate accumulation to happen anyway so by having in the system it's really there to support those key uh, 10 minute efforts so benefits of two to three percent are what is reported from uh, the, from supplementation of beta alanine uh, muscle carnitine content can be further uh, elevated when supplementation regimes are extended to 10 to 12 weeks so approximately 80 percent above resting levels however the correlation between muscle changes and magnitude of performance benefits remains uh, unestablished but I suppose the way to look at it is if you are coming into your final sort of 10 12 week phase going into your key event you're obviously probably going to have events on the way into that so the level of benefit is probably going to start to creep in creep in creep in and then hopefully peak for the key event that you have lined up whether you could continue taking it all year round i think from it um, it looks like something you kind of target events for Uh, so beta alanine supplementation may not be as effective in well-trained athletes as their uh, lesser trained counterparts partly due to the diminishing role of carnosine towards intramuscular ph regulation in individual in individuals with an already enhanced buffering capacity which you know is understandable however the small performance changes observed in well-trained athletes to date of up to one and a half percent may be still meaningful in the context of an applied competition setting so generally still even at that level one and a half percent between you know zero and one and a half percent any benefit is welcomed um, so for dosing beta alanine the strategies typically involve split doses consuming over um, the day for example 0.8 to uh, 1.6 grams every three or four hours and or slow release formulations to minimize the likelihood of side effects um, these range from itchiness and skin rashes through episodes of transient parathesia, which is effectively a sort of pins and needles sensation. And I myself can vouch for this. I've used beta alanine in the past and done it as a single dosage. And I'm talking within 20, 30 minutes. You've got this tingling feeling in your fingers. And it's not the most pleasant Uh, thing and it's enough to put you off and it was enough to put me off and i stopped using the supplement but considering going through a phase of it again given that sort of this like more micro dose-esque supplementation method which is obviously harder to keep to because you've got to remember to do it multiple times a day but i suppose if it's only for 10 weeks of the year it's easy enough um so there are large individual variations like a lot of things in beta alanine up um and in its uptake but in summary beta alanine supplementation via split dose ingestion of up to 65 milligrams per kilogram of body mass per day consumed for a minimum of two to four weeks and up to 12 weeks should occur in order to augment high intensity exercise performance ranging from 30 seconds to 10 minutes in duration essentially this is something that you would take on the way into a 10 or 12 week block in prep for your main race of the year.
Now for sodium bicarbonate, something you can probably find in your kitchen at home, but is a uh, performance enhancing supplement. Um, I am all too familiar with the potential serious gastric distress effects that it has, but we'll get onto that later. So ingestion of sodium bicarbonate or NAHCO3 is proposed to enhance high intensity exercise performance as an intracellular uh, buffer. However, the mechanisms of action are complex. To keep it simple, and in a way I understand myself, uh, it effectively increases the pH gradient between intracellular and extracellular environments, leading to an enhanced buffering effect in the presence of uh, positive hydrogen ions during high-intensity work. While um, sodium bicarbonate ingestion is associated with a high level of intra individual variability in performance outcomes, benefits are generally seen in a short-term high-intensity sprints lasting about 60 seconds in duration, uh, mean performance enhancements of about 2%, uh, with diminishing returns as the effort duration exceeds 10 minutes. However, greater benefits may be realized uh, in the 8% region of improvements with a greater number of repeated sprint bouts, um, adding an element of fatigue resistance and things. So you can see how kind of all these supplements could kind of be turned into this mega concoction <laughs> effectively to achieve a somewhat staggering effect because they all they seem to sort of act within a similar range of mechanisms all kind of working towards making you that bit faster so successful supplementation protocols typically involve um, acute sodium bicarbonate doses of 0.2 to 0.4 grams per kilogram of body mass with time to peak concentration occurring at about 60 to 150 minutes post ingestion however as i've already mentioned common side effects include gi upset to say the least which may negatively affect performance enhancements likely explain the large variability in the individual responses there's loads of other kind of things like i think amp humans one of them i think uh, martin now have this kind of sodium bicarbonate sub and they all usually respond in the same way of we have managed to sidestep the GI issues. Um, now, there are other strategies to minimize the GI upset, including co-ingestion um, with a small carbohydrate-rich meal, such as 1.5 grams per kilogram of body mass of carbohydrate, splitting an acute dose into several smaller doses, taken over a course of 30 to 60 minutes, um, or serially loading with three to four smaller doses per day for two to four consecutive days prior to the event. Alternatively, sodium citrate has been proposed as an alternative, but the uh, results are kind of less proven. Honestly, for me, I think the best thing to do is you first, I would go for maybe once a week, twice a month, you test out a dose, you stay well on the lower side, so 0.2 grams. The thing is, it is also disgusting. Um, it's something really hard to intake, so trying to load it in multiple doses, I think, could be quite hard. And just seeing where the limits are. The, when you find the limit, it'll be pretty dramatic, so 
honestly, between the taste, the potential side effects, and yeah, it's something where maybe if on just general races that you're doing, maybe a weekly race, you find that you find a number that really works for you and have had no upset, then try it on a big ride as well, check there isn't anything. And once certain, stick with that number, try that number out. But I wouldn't go upping doses or going into the main... The other supplements you can kind of go and take and be less concerned about. But this has the potential to really ruin an event. And if it's your A race and you've invested a lot of time and psychological effort into it, then it's not the place to try this out, really. But definitely has some performance benefits. So by this point... You have an entire concoction of supplements you could be taking for your next big event. And it's important to mention that the possible to get some of these supplements in through your daily diet, for example, caffeine through coffee intake and nitrate through leafy greens and root vegetables. However, in other cases like creatine, beta alanine and sodium bicarbonate, it may be hard, if not impossible, to obtain the required volume without dedicating supplement sources. Um, regardless, is you know, promising to know that there are supplements out there that have got science behind them to show the benefits that they could elicit. Now, as promised, on to ketones. I thought ketones could do with their own little section, as although some would argue they are proven, I guess they have a lot of mystique around them due to their high costs. All of the supplements above can be purchased extremely cheaply. Just for reference, I went onto Amazon, did no searching around, just went straight on there to check some of the prices. And caffeine you can get for £5 for 100, 200 milligram tablets. Creatine you can get um, 186 dosage, like servings. So over half a year's worth for £32. And that was from uh, Optimal Nutrition. Um, so probably on that pricier end of things in general. Uh, nitrate sources, you've got £10 for 180 capsules. Beta alanine, £7 for 25 servings. You can probably get that cheaper. This was just a quick, real rapid look. And 5 kilograms of sodium bicarbonate for £14. And that is food grade. It's just people use it for cleaning and all sorts of other stuff. So really, it just you can get it in massive vats. Uh, or you could just go down to your like regular shop and just add it onto your weekly shop and there you go, it's done. Um, in comparison, 25 shots of ketones from HVMN called Ketone IQ, which is some kind of trademarked patent, uh, trademarked substance or whatever, will set you back £108. Even gels from SIS aren't that bloody expensive. So these are pricey um supplements really especially if you got to consider you're going to have to try all these before your big event and then try them on the event and possibly having to take multiple in it's pretty expensive um so in all seriousness do they work how do they work uh, a study titled a nutritional ketosis alters fuel performance and thereby endurance performance in athletes made reference to some interesting work so, to determine whether exercise performance could be altered by metabolic changes arising from nutritional provisions of um, carbohydrates and ketones, they examined the effects of steady-state exercise and, and time trial performance in eight, individually, eight individuals 
who are highly trained endurance athletes. Following an overnight fast, study participants completed two blinded cycle exercise trials consisting of one hour steady state workload at 75%, uh, followed by a blinded 30 minute time trial for maximum distance, so just self kind of paced, just flat out. Um, Ingestion of a drink containing 573 milligrams per kilogram of body weight of ketones resulted in a rapid rise in circulating DBHB, this is the whole ketone thing, uh, from overnight uh, fasted levels to 2 millimole after 20 minutes. So that's just giving reference to what was going on, how much they were taking, how much was seen in the blood. Uh, Ketone concentrations remained elevated throughout subsequent exercises with a fall in concentration on initiation of exercise at 75% of their max workload after which blood concentration rose reaching a new approximate steady state after 30 minutes where they remained for the rest of the protocol. So that gives background, but to summarize their findings, um, study five that they did was on a bicycle ergometer, so just an indoor trainer effectively. Um, So time trial performance was 2% greater following ketone plus carbohydrate versus just carbohydrate ingestion. Uh, which is a reasonable performance increase depending on where you are on the spectrum of reaching your genetic potential, as is the same for all the previous uh, supplements. However, ketosis may not be advantageous for physical conditions that rely almost solely on anaerobic glycolysis or extremely high uh, glycolytic flux for ATP production, such as sprints or short duration exercise. Furthermore, highly glycolytic exercise may be impaired in ketone body oxidation um, restricts uh, sorry may impair uh, body oxidation restricts glycolysis by negative feedback either by an increase in um, NADH NAD plus or coa ratio essentially therefore the utility of nutritional ketosis appears more suited to metabolic conditions where uh, dysregulated substrate selection exists and where incremental improvements in energy uh, transduction or CHO preservation so sorry carbohydrate preservation may translate to significant increases in muscular endurance so essentially really you're talking ultra endurance um It seems that they could be, well, blocking that high intensity and people argue, well, you're preserving carbohydrates. But then if when you've preserved all these carbohydrates and then you get to the high intensity work, its act of preserving them is preventing you from using them when you most need them, then it's not necessarily beneficial. Now, there had been stuff about, I think, the last Tour de France, for example, Jumbo Visma using them in the, um, the Tour. Now, whether this was every day and whether the effect of ketones can be isolated to the day they have been taken. So on days where you know you're going to be noodling around all day and may have a couple of selections, but nothing really that intense like a sprint day. Then, or just a general transition phase uh, stage, then it looks like that's possibly where they could be used. You just want to cause as little damage to the body, preserve as much uh, carbohydrate as possible, and then go on to the next day. So, for the general public, 
they're just so expensive, so it's kind of hard to really see why you would use them in reality. Maybe if you're and you're bordering on pro, right, and you're going to go do the um, out route, and you want to just re- you're already spending that much, you want to go the rest of the way, then they're not so expensive that it's unreasonable. But I think for just week in, week out, crit racing and whatever. It's probably not one that you're going to add to the list of supplements. So to round it all off, definitely think there are some bits of moderately low-hanging fruit here. Caffeine could be used all year round, while some of the others, like beta alanine, could use in the on the way to a big prep. And really, even things like nitrates, it looks like there are benefits to your training, so possibly that's another one that you can use all year round. And then really, if you're at the extremely pointy end of things or have got some mega event on that requires a lot of endurance and possibly carbohydrate uh, preservation on easier days, then looking at ketones could be a useful thing to to eye up. Or even maybe you're going to do something like um, some of those 200 mile gravel races in America for example where maybe you're nowhere near the front and just want to turn the pedals and maybe you just need to preserve glucose to get up some of those steeper hills that maybe is an option but thank you for listening to today's episode all resources used can be found and linked to in the episode description if you want more content like this there are plenty of previous episodes to check out but before you do Why not follow the podcast and leave a rating wherever you get your podcasts from or even better, share it with a friend. For any comments, feedback or if you would like to suggest a topic for future episodes, I can be contacted at thevo2lounge at gmail.com and with that, I will see you in the next one.